You're listening to the seven-part sermon series, Burning Questions, taught by Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County. Over our seven-part series, we'll be providing biblical answers to your most asked questions. Let's join Pastor Ryan now. Tonight, we're uh, continuing our series, uh, Burning Questions, and uh, tonight we're going to tackle some questions about heaven. And if you've got a Bible, you can pull that out. We'll be kind of jumping around a little bit uh, tonight. And really, we're going to try to answer four questions, so we're not going to get really involved in any of them. But uh, we've got four questions. If you're a note taker, these are questions we're going to try to to hit tonight. Do babies and children go to heaven? Uh, Of course, you know, babies and children that that die uh, previous to uh, maturing into an adult uh, are people that have never heard the gospel accountable for their failure to receive Christ? And, uh, or will people that have never heard the gospel go to heaven? Do pets go to heaven? Animals, pets, dogs in general. Dogs specifically, animals in general. And then, um, and then there was one, uh, do homosexuals go to heaven? So uh, I don't know why that makes me laugh at the moment, but it just kind of does. So... <laughs> um, so we'll look at these. Babies and children, do they go to heaven? If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 12. This is a, a famous passage that I don't think is any sort of a proof text to answer this question in any way. But I think it's a good illustration. I think it shows us what, what one man who is a godly man, who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart, kind of what his perspective on it was. David, of course, had a child with Bathsheba when they uh, sinned together. When they committed adultery together, Bathsheba was pregnant. You know the story. Now, God, in, in his judgment, took this child. And, and David pleaded with God, and he pleaded with God, and, and God um, didn't relent in that decision. And, and it was... Um, it was part of what would be a series of events in David's life and in his family uh, as repercussion for his sin. But if you look at verse 23, it says, Moreover, as for me, this is David, far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I, am I in the wrong? Yeah, I want to be in Second Samuel. I'm sorry. Second Samuel, apologize. Second Samuel chapter 12. Okay, this is the right one. Verse 22, start there. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? And so he was fasting, he was weeping, he was pleading with God for the life of this child. And then verse 23, But now he, was, now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And so there was a confidence that David had that he would see this child again. Here was a child who who died previous uh, to um, maturity, to the, the what you might call or refer to as the age of accountability. Uh, this this child was taken um, and put to death, and, and David had a confidence that he would see this child uh, yet again. Now, this age of accountability, th- this is something that, uh, it's a term that we throw around a lot. It's a term that you may have heard. It's not necessarily a biblical term. It's not necessarily a term that, that we can point to a, a verse in the Bible and say, yes, here's a definitive proof text. 
But it, it seems um, just from our, our knowledge of who God is that there, there must be an age whereby someone is accountable for their decisions and understanding good versus evil. Being able to understand and to cognitively figure out that they are in need of a savior. A six-month-old cannot figure that out. Now, how old is a child before they can figure that out? I think it's different. I think it's different for every child when they realize that they're separated from God, that they've done things that offend God. That there's, a, there's a difference there, I think, for every child. Certainly, uh, my kids, who are six and four, uh, are beginning to, to comprehend those things and ask questions. But I would say that my daughter, who is six was far more advanced in those things when she was four than my son is who is four. He doesn't really ask that many questions about it. Um, he, I don't think he gets it maybe the way she did at that age. And so I think every person's a little different. And so we certainly can't put an age on it and say, well, it's 10 or it's 9. There really isn't, I think, a, a specific age. But certainly there is an age where a person comes to realize good Versus evil, they come to realize the existence of God and, they, and they're accountable for those things. Now, there's a couple different ways of, of looking at this. Some people believe that if a child dies, if a baby dies through abortion, through stillborn, uh, you know, SIDS, an accident, whatever, that if that child was chosen by God and God had already chosen that child, then they would, they, they would go to heaven, but those that aren't chosen by God would not. Now, that's an extreme position. It's an extreme view of um, election. It's, a, it's a, a view that I personally reject. But th- there, there's clearly some complication to this whole matter of do children uh, go to heaven because we know that every person is born in sin. And some would have us believe, well, children don't go to heaven our children do go to heaven because they're not sinners. They haven't sinned yet. Well, I think that's partially true in the sense that they haven't sinned specifically because they don't know the difference between right and wrong. But clearly, the Bible teaches us, Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 3, and other places that every person, Psalm 51, David says that he was born in sin. Every person is born a sinner. And so we have to understand that there's our sin nature, sin maybe with a capital S, and then there's the manifestation of that, which is sin with a maybe a lowercase s, how we specifically sin. And so children, I believe, do go to heaven, but I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that they aren't sinners, as some would want us to, to believe. Because every person is born in sin. Regardless of age, every person needs regeneration. We're not born good people that are corrupted by this world. However, the Bible doesn't seem to teach that everyone or that anyone is sent to hell because of their sin nature. Or because of Adam's sin. Because of the sin that we've adopted by virtue of just the fact that we're a human. The Bible doesn't seem to indicate that anywhere that you are sent to hell and, and judged for Adam's sin that was passed down to you. Now certainly, 
That's what makes us sin, and that's the nature that we are given. But the Bible teaches that we aren't accountable for other people's sin. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 24, Deuteronomy 24, 16, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children. Some of you are saying, thank God for that. Nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. And so there, there's some indication there that we aren't judged for Adam's sin. Each person is judged individually. Ezekiel chapter 18, you can look over at that. Ezekiel 18, 20, I'm going to just kind of read it here. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. And so those two scriptures tell me that we aren't judged for Adam's sin. We are given a sin nature that makes us sin, but we're judged for our own choices and our own rejection of Christ. And so because of that, I'd, I don't believe that a child is judged for their sin nature before they have the opportunity to manifest that sin nature. Now, again, this question gets into election that we kind of got into last week with prayer, and, and I don't want to get into that again, uh, but, but clearly that's part of it uh, that, that some would, as I said, would teach that if this child is elected, then they're saved. If they're not, then they're not. Others would say if this child has been baptized. There, there are traditions, there, there are uh, beliefs within Christianity that... A baby is to be baptized. And if a baby is baptized, then by virtue of the parent's faith, then that child is saved up until a certain age. And, and I reject that as well. I don't think the Bible teaches that at all. I think infant baptism is, um, we're really grasping at straws to even find anything that the Bible would, would point uh, uh, to that being something we ought to practice uh, although 1 Corinthians 7.14, if you turn over there, does seem to indicate that a child is sanctified or made holy by believing parents. And so I think there, there could be something to this. It's talking about uh, marriage. It's talking about uh, that if an unbelieving spouse wants to leave, let them leave. But if they don't want to leave, then you, you should be... Um, an influence upon them because as a believer you you are a sense in a sense their sanctification that an unbelieving spouse sanctifies the believing spouse and then he says in verse 14 for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband otherwise your children would be unclean but now they are holy now I'm going to be honest with you I don't know what that verse means but it seems to give some indication there that there, there is a covering whereby believing parents are sanctifying their, uh, their children. Now, I don't think we can go too far with that and make just unbiblical and unfounded kinds of resolutions with, with, that, um, with that verse. But, but it is interesting. Uh, Psalm 139 indicates in, in Jeremiah chapter 1 indicates that God is intimately acquainted with us before we're, we are born. And, and so I, I believe that 
the Lord is, is outside of time. He, he's not bound by time. He doesn't function in time. And so when, when a child is born, God doesn't just see the child the way we do. He sees the child's entire life. He, he sees the child's spirit, its eternal spirit. And so there, there's something there as well that we have to keep in mind. That all we see is this precious little baby. And, and God sees it much different than that. God sees its whole life as if it's happening in the present. And God sees into eternity. And so we have to keep that in mind as we ponder this question about children and do they go to heaven. And I think all of these verses are some verses that, that can help you to have a theology about this particular question. I know it's a, it's a little bit jumbled and we kind of jumped around a little bit. But all of these verses, I think, uh, can help you to wrestle with this more. I don't know that, that we're going to walk away going, I, I know exactly what the Bible teaches. People have been wrestling with this question for a long time. And, and I don't expect you uh, to, to get it figured out tonight. Because I... I honestly don't know. I personally, because of the, the nature of God and the graciousness of God, I believe that children uh, do go to heaven. But I can't say that I can make a definitive case for that biblically. The Bible just doesn't speak to it in a definitive way. Now, I think that as we looked at some of these verses, th- there there are some some things that can help us. One more thing. Uh, regarding this, if you flip back to Deuteronomy, I think this is a great illustration. Again, not a proof text. And you need to understand the difference. A proof text would say, children go to heaven. But the Bible doesn't say that. But these are illustrations that can help us to formulate a theology. And if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, you, you know what's going on here is that because of their rebellion toward God and because of of their disobedience, the first generation that left Egypt is going to die in the wilderness. You guys familiar with that? We've gone through it in our study of the Pentateuch um, we, uh, here on Wednesday nights. But look at verse 34, Deuteronomy chapter 1. And the Lord heard the sound of your words and was angry and took an oath saying, Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give to your fathers. And so... It's been decided that original first generation that left Egypt, they will die in the wilderness because of their sin. They will not enter the promised land except Caleb and, and of course, Joshua because they wholly followed the Lord. And the Lord was also angry with me for your sake, saying, even you shall not go in there. Moses would not be allowed to go in. talks about Joshua in verse 38. Moreover, your little ones and your children who you say will be victims, so they're complaining, well, what about our kids? They, they didn't choose this. They, they didn't rebel against you. What about our kids? They're going to be victims in all of this. Who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. And so we know that it was that second generation, those that were born in the wilderness. They were the ones that entered into the promised land and entered into the promises of God. Now it's interesting to me. God didn't hold the children accountable for the sins of their parents. And I think that gives us some some great information, a, a, a great source of just the character of God and how he deals with these kinds of, of things. 
And so personally, I, I believe that babies and children do go to heaven. But again, it's, it's not because I have definitive proof. It's more of illustrations like we talked about with David and his understanding of it, like here with Deuteronomy and some of the others, and because of the character and nature of God. Now let's, let's move on to the second question regarding heaven. Are people that have never heard the gospel accountable for their failure to receive Christ? Are people that have never heard the gospel, we always hear about the aborigines, right? Some far off, as Mark talked about, unreached people group that has never heard the gospel. What about them? Will they go to heaven? I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I've lost my place. This is why I don't like flipping around. Yes. Okay. Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them. So God's talking about in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, he's indicting the whole world as sinners is what Paul's doing. And he carries that thought into chapter 3 as well. And in chapter 1, he's talking about Gentiles. He's talking about those that didn't have the law because Jews were given the word of God. They were given the law and they were accountable for that. But what, what about the Gentiles who, who never heard about God, who, who never were, were taught the law? They didn't have the Ten Commandments handed to them. What about them? And that's who Paul is referring to. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Not just the ungodliness that stems from a rebellion to the law, but an ungodliness that is ignorant of the law. Because what may be known of God is manifest or made known to them, for God has shown it to them. How's he done that? For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he goes on to talk about how people have twisted uh, creation and made it into uh, an object of worship. But this passage here seems to, to indicate to us that every person has a knowledge of God simply from creation. And do you ever notice that when you talk to people, no matter who they are or what their background is, they seem to have some kind of a knowledge of, of a creator, of, of a higher power, of an all-knowing spirit? Depending on who you're talking to, if... If you're talking to some of these, these far away, unreached people, they might have some real Eastern ideas. But research has been done, and, and a lot of these people groups have been studied very extensively. And every people group on the planet believes in some kind of God that's over everything. Even if they believe in multiple gods, such as the Native Americans. They believe in the sun god, the moon god. You know, the, every animal has a, has a god attached to it. They worship all of these things. They worship the earth. But, and maybe if you're familiar with, with Native American history, you know that they have a chief spirit. 
that they believe in. And so many people that, especially the early missionaries to the United States, America before it was the United States, the early missionaries, they would sort of key in on that chief spirit, much like Paul did at Mars Hill, and speak to people from what they understand about God. And say, you know that chief spirit that you believe in? I believe in him too. And, and I believe that he had a son and that he sent his son. And you can, you can go from, from that knowledge and, and from that perspective, see? Because every people group on the planet has some kind of chief spirit, all-knowing deity that they believe in. And it's because, as the Bible teaches us, I believe an innate sense of the presence of God. And even atheists and agnostics and those that you may come in contact with that just absolutely deny the existence of God and believe in evolution, as they look out upon the world, I think that even they recognize and realize that something very powerful is going on, even if they don't want to, rec- even if they don't want to admit it. Because once you begin to believe in a creator, then you're accountable to that creator. And that's why I believe evolution is, is far more of a religious problem and a problem with religion than it is anything to do with science. They're, they're rejecting God. They're rejecting the concept of God. They're rejecting morality. And if you've ever been in a debate with people about evolution, it almost always devolves into a debate about God, about Christianity, about the church, about morality. Have you ever noticed that? It almost always goes there. Because that's really the problem that people have. Is that if there is a creator, now I'm accountable to that creator and people don't want to be. And, and really Charles Darwin, his whole theory of evolution and natural selection that, that he really robbed from, from many other thinkers but he was the one that was credited for, for that um, belief system. He, he was raised in a Christian home. His father wanted to send him to seminary. He didn't want to go. So he got a job on a boat. And as he was studying these different animals, and as he was running from God, he began to formulate his, his thoughts about evolution and natural selection as really a way to justify his rebellion toward God. And so all of these belief systems or lack of belief systems, you guys, they're really a rejection of of Christianity. They're a rejection of God. I believe that everybody is born with an innate sense of who God is. And so to the question of these unreached people groups, these people that have never heard the gospel, I truly believe that if a person recognizes that God exists and they want to pursue him, and they, they, they want him to be revealed to them that God is faithful to do that. That he will bring a missionary. That he will bring his word to them. The Bible is being translated into hundreds of languages. Every day, new dialects and new languages are, are being introduced into Bible translation. And so, I believe that God's faithful. And I also believe that God is just and that he's fair that he has not only revealed himself through creation, but he's also revealed himself to people through their own conscience. And the Bible teaches us that every man has a conscience. And the Bible also teaches us, Romans chapter 12, that every person 
is given a measure of faith. And so they're without excuse. Now, does that mean that they're going to be able to clearly articulate the gospel and, and that they know the Bible? And maybe not. But God in his graciousness and in his mercy, I believe, will reach that person who truly is seeking after him. And so if they've never received Christ, do they go to heaven? I don't know that I can say yes to that question because the Bible says no. But I do know that God is just and God is fair and that God will reveal himself to people that want him. He did it for me. I, I, I had no intention of, of really becoming a Christian and, and yet God just revealed himself to me in, in a very powerful way. And, and really for, for an American, I, I was kind of a kid that was just clueless about the gospel. I had no idea. I, I thought that I was a Christian just because I was an American. But I, I couldn't articulate to you who Jesus was. In a lot of ways, I thought it was a fairy tale. And yet God reached me and God revealed himself to me. Now, I know that I had uh, a much easier opportunity because of the resources available here in the United States. And what about these people that live you know, in these far-off places? And God will reach them too. The Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith and not of our works. And so if... If a person recognizes who God is and that they want him and that they need him and that they're a sinner and they call out to God, I believe he will meet them no matter their understanding of the Bible or where they've grown up. And so I hope that helps you. I hope that helps you to, to kind of formulate, uh, again, a theology about that. Uh, you know, here in Romans chapter 1, um, we, we seem to see that, that no one is without excuse. And I think, you guys, it's a great launching point for evangelism, even here in the United States, that, that every person has a concept of God. And rather than arguing with them about their concept of God, find out, listen to them, hear them out, hear what they believe, hear their perspective, hear their background, what they've been taught, and then use that, like Paul did, to launch into the gospel. Rather than saying, no, 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 you got to believe in the Trinity and you got to believe in the Father and, and you got to believe in the biblical understanding of who God is. Let God get them there, but use their understanding as a launching pad. And, and successful missionaries are doing that around the world. In fact, I have a couple books. Um, what was the name of that book, Michael, that I gave you? Do you remember? Yeah, I don't either. I don't, I don't know what's going on with my brain tonight. Um, but I have a couple books that are tremendous if you're interested about this subject of, um, you know, using people's understanding of God. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, really. Um, there, there's a, it's a fascinating uh, uh, book. And e even in China, they're doing this. And there's some really cool things uh, with the Chinese language. Even some of their, you know, uh, Chinese is symbols, Right. That there's some symbols of biblical words that are actually Christian symbols. And, and it's just really cool. Um, and, and this guy writes about that and how they've been successful in sharing the gospel with Chinese people with their own language and, and some of the things they didn't even realize about their culture. And so um, lots of things. If, if you're interested in that, uh, I can get that to you. So how about animals? Uh, real quickly, uh, animals in general, pets in heaven. Uh, I would recommend a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. Uh, it's a tremendous book. Uh, it will really open your eyes to heaven in, in a lot of ways. 
Uh, Randy really believes that, that pets will be in heaven. And he gives some, some great scriptures out of Isaiah uh, about the new earth and, you know, all these verses that, that we know, in fact, they, they get misquoted a lot. You, you hear people say the lion will lay down with the lamb. That might be true, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the wolf will lay down with the lamb. It's equally as impressive. Wolves don't often lay down with sheep. But, you know, it doesn't say lions, so be that as it may. Uh, there may be lions laying down with lambs too. Uh, but it seems to indicate that there's going to be animals. We know we're riding on horses with Jesus when, when we come down uh, to judge the earth with, with him. The, the church, the multitude of, of the saints, the Bible says, will be riding on horses. Jesus will be on a horse. And so obviously there's horses there. And so if there's horses... Why not dogs and why not cats and birds and, and every other sort of animal? I think if the, the Lord knows what's important to us. And, and I always like to say that heaven isn't going to be worse than earth. It's going to be a whole lot better. And so if you enjoy your dog and your dog brings you happiness and your cat brings you uh, some, some joy in your life, I think God could very easily reproduce that cat or recreate that dog for you again. No definitive proof biblically, but to the character and nature of God. Cats and animals are not eternal. They, they, they don't have a spirit, and so they go into the ground, and, and that's it. They're gone. But certainly God could recreate that animal. I don't think that's beyond God's capability to you. But will he for sure? I don't know. I, I don't know. But the Bible does seem to indicate when you, when you read in the Old Testament and you read in the in, in the book of Revelation about heaven, that there are animals there. And there's many things in heaven that are very similar to earth. When you read about in Revelation that there's fruit, that there's 12 trees bearing 12 different fruits. And so it, it seems that we're eating in heaven. We're going to have a feast. And, and I personally believe that heaven is going to be everything that's wonderful and godly here on this earth and even more. And so the things you enjoy, maybe your family, maybe there's some things recreationally that you enjoy. Now, I don't know about hunting. I don't know if we're going to be killing stuff up there. You know, uh, there's no death in heaven. So I don't know how that would work. Maybe you just shoot a big buck and he's like, hey, good shot, you know, and he runs off. And I, I have no idea. I have no idea. But there, there's, there's that's certainly in the realm of possibility. You get a visual on that, you know. Um, so, again, I, I think that uh, we go to the nature of God, we go to the nature of heaven, and, and we can formulate some ideas about this. Uh, do homosexuals go to heaven? I think this is an interesting question. I'm not sure that it's a fair question, because I, I think that the church has has really, in a lot of ways, made homosexuality like it's, it's punching bag. And, and it's the sin that, that we, we talk about, and it's kind of like, you know, we're just abhorred by it. And, and obviously, it goes against creation. It goes against the way God made us. I don't think there's any argument about that. I don't even think homosexuals would argue about that. I mean, that it just doesn't work. The plumbing isn't right, as some would say. It's just not there. It's just obviously not, not right. But 
Should it be our whipping boy? Should it be our punching bag? Should it be the sin that we always go to when we're talking about sin? Does God look at, let's say, divorce or gossip or heterosexual sin any differently than he does homosexuality? And I think we all know the answer to that. Now, are there repercussions that are different? Absolutely. I think there's mental and physical repercussions for homosexuality that other sins do not have. And, of course, uh, today there are illnesses uh, that, that are basically, you know, isolated to, to homosexuality and, and maybe uh, some other, uh, you know, drug use and different things. But if, if we were to say, let's pretend that this person who's a homosexual, let's pretend that they are heterosexual, that they're married, that everything's cool, they still need a savior. They, they still need Jesus. And so it isn't the homosexuality. It's the fact that they're a sinner. They're separated from God. And, and it's the lie. It's the gossip. It's the lust in general. It's, it, it's, it's a whole manner of, of things. If you turn over to, to Galatians chapter 5, Paul does give us a list of sins. Is this an exhaustive list? I don't know. I don't think so. Because he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Galatians 5.19. They're evident. The works of the flesh. He talks about the fruits of the Spirit later. But here's the works of the flesh. He says they're evident. These are things that are very much outward works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you look at 1 John, which we won't tonight, but in 1 John chapter 1, Uh, John talks about the fact that we all sin. He's talking to Christians. And he says that everyone everyone sins. And if you say you're without sin, you deceive yourself. But when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, a defense attorney, Jesus Christ the righteous. And that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So it's like, okay, great. I understand that. We're all sinners. We're all going to continue to sin. This, this idea that we can come to a place of sinless perfection is, is not biblical. 1 John chapter 1. But then you go over a couple more chapters. And all of a sudden, John throws a wrench in the works. And in chapter 3, he says, look, he who sins is not a child of God. What? He just said in chapter 1 that we are going to sin. Now he's saying, he who sins. Well, there's different tenses of the word sin being used there. And I think the English Standard Version, the ESV, nails it with their translation. As they translate it, he who practices sin or lives in a lifestyle of sin is not a child of God. Chapter 3. So, backing up to Galatians, again, this is a practice. This is a lifestyle of these things. Adultery which is a married person who has sexual relations with someone other than his or her spouse. That's adultery. Or fornication, which is an unmarried person who has sexual relations, period. Heterosexual, homosexual, 
on and on it goes, right? So this would obviously include homosexuality. So, if a person is practicing homosexuality, will they go to heaven? Paul says no, here. But what about people that are struggling? Do you know anybody, maybe you had raised your hand, that struggles with selfish ambitions and it's a struggle for you? That one day you do good and the next day you don't? How about outbursts of wrath? Anybody struggle with that? You don't, you don't need to raise your hand. I'm just saying, I've been known to have a few. And so is this cut and dry? Is the Bible black and white? Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, envy, envy. Do you struggle with that? Neighbor buys a new Hummer. Do you ever wonder why you don't have a new Hummer? Does that ever go through your mind, you know? Maybe it's not a Hummer. Maybe now it's like a cool, you know, hybrid car since they're cheap to drive. Whatever. Whatever you envy. People envy different things. And so you, you get where I'm going with this. All of these things, even idolatry. The, the, the definition of idolatry is putting something ahead of God. Do any of us struggle with that? Do you ever put work ahead of the Lord? Recreation? Do you ever go a whole day where you don't think about Jesus and you're only concentrating and your, and your thought is about this project, this thing that's there in front of you? Do, do, you, do you struggle like I do with idolatry at times? Not little wooden or stone men that are on your mantle. We're not tempted in that way. But there's a lot of other things that we can have as idols. And so do we practice those things? I don't know. I don't know if that's practicing, but certainly we struggle. And so going back to the homosexual, what about the homosexual who struggles with it? Now, I don't understand that. I don't know what that's like. To me, it's weird. It's, it's just, I don't understand it. But that doesn't mean people don't have it. Lonnie Frisbee, who, if you've studied uh, the Jesus movement at all, if you've studied the history of, of Calvary Chapel at all, uh, he, he's kind of, in a, in a way, been written out of our history. Because he's, he's kind of like, you know, the uncle that's in prison that nobody wants to talk about. That's Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee led Greg Glory to Christ, Mike McIntosh to Christ, on and on and on. Lonnie Frisbee was in the high schools. He was inviting people to Calvary Chapel. When Calvary Chapel was a small little church in Costa Mesa that had no inclination of reaching the hippies in the way they did. Lonnie Frisbee was a powerful evangelist. And Pastor Chuck gave him the Wednesday night service. And, and he started inviting all of these hippies. And they were getting saved. And they were playing their music. And, and modern worship came out of that time. And Lonnie Frisbee was anointed. Lonnie Frisbee was a pow- one of the most powerful evangelists that, that our country's probably ever seen. And, and think of the fruit that has come out of that. And Greg Laurie, in his book called Lost Boy, which is his biography, he says that people came to Calvary Chapel back in the 60s because of Lonnie Frisbee, but they stayed because of Pastor Chuck. There wasn't anything drawing people to Calvary Chapel. It, you know, th- there wasn't anything real... Um, magnetic about pastor chuck that wasn't what was drawing people there he was 45 years old at the time it was this young guy in birkenstocks with long hair whose dad invented the frisbee actually it it was this guy that was drawing people there well lonnie frisbee struggled with homosexuality he ended up dying of aids greg laurie and mike mcintosh went to visit him in hospice care in 1998 they said it was it was just a surreal moment 
as they watched this guy that had led them to Christ, that had discipled them, that had led thousands of people to Jesus. Here he was, a shell of a man. He had struggled with this and in many other things for his whole life. Was he saved? Did he know Jesus? Is he in heaven? You know what I mean? It's not that easy, is it? When you think of it like that, when you think of a guy like Lonnie Frisbee, all of a sudden it puts it into a little bit of a different context. And so I think when we try to make things super black and white, we, we have a hard time. And, and I'm not trying to water down anything. I'm not trying to, to say that, that homosexuality is okay because it isn't. It's a sin. It's disgusting. It's opposed to God. But is it any different than any other sin? I think from a physical standpoint, yes. But from a spiritual standpoint, no, it's not. It's not any different. And so I think the question in and of itself kind of reveals a little bit of where we're at on the issue. Now, the church is going way over here today. In fact, Brian McLaren, who's a leader of, of what's called the Emerging Church, uh, Br- Brian McLaren um, really believes, and, and this is what he said, homosexuality is a question we can't answer right now. And we need, to, we need to think about it and wrestle with it for about three years before we make any sort of statements about it. That's what Brian McLaren said. I think that's garbage. The Bible's clear about it. But because of the world we live in today and, and the, the rise in homosexuality and now with homosexual marriage, it's only going to become more prevalent and more out there and more in our face. But is it a sin that we ought to just clamor onto and make our whipping boy and and make it what defines us and what we are against? I think no. I think that makes the church look really, really bigoted and in in a sense narrow-minded that we're not seeing the big picture, that we're not seeing that that there's a lot of, of sin out there. And so do homosexuals go to heaven? Those that are struggling like Lonnie Frisbee, man, I would just say I hope so because I know that when I look at this list, in a sense, I think, Lord, I struggle with a lot of this stuff. Is that practicing such things? Lord, help me to, to run from these things, to flee these things. But it also it makes me say I can't put a judgment on somebody. I can't just say to them, you know what? You're going to hell because I don't know. But what I can say to them is, look, bro, this is what the Bible says. And you need to be careful. You need to repent. You need to turn from this. But can I definitively say without a doubt of this person's eternal state, if they're struggling and they're confessing and they're, they're leaning on Jesus, but they keep struggling with it, I'm not talking about somebody that's opposed to God that doesn't care about God and is, is just flaunting their sin. I'm talking about a person that's struggling. So the, the person that is just hardened to God and, and doesn't know God, they're just like anybody else. They need Jesus. So yeah, they're going to hell. But what about the homosexual that is struggling with it? And, and I think that's what we wrestle with. And, and I think that's what we just say, Lord, I, I pray for that person. God, and I pray for myself that, that I wouldn't practice these things. That, that God, my life would be set apart for you. So, questions, comments. These just, get, these just keep getting more controversial, don't they? We started, did you notice I started off this series with the one that's like, it's really not controversial. It's just like the Bible teaches that we have suffering and, you know, 
And then it, we kind of eased in with the reliability of the Bible. And then last week it was like, boom. And now this week, bang, you know. <laughs> yes? I just have like a comment to add to like what you're saying. Um, where I live, I've come into contact with a lot of homosexuals. There's a lot present in the apartments where we're at. Uh-huh. And the one thing I've found talking to witness with them is that, like you said, so many people that say, you know, that they know the church and stuff have come down so hard on them and made them believe that they're totally out of the love of God. Yeah. And that there, you know, there is no way that they can find the love or, or come into the church. That it, when you're witnessing to them, the first battle you have is even getting them to realize that God still loves them. Yeah. And I just think that's kind of sad that a lot of people, you know, say that they, they're with God and everything, but they're coming down and, like you said, making them their battle. Yeah. And they're giving the rest of us that are really trying to bring them to the Lord a bad name and making it harder for us to get to them. Right. When God loves them no matter what. You know, they're in sin and they need to repent, but he still loves them. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yes. About this frisbee guy, you know, um, we had a guy in our church, you know, in our in our old church that, uh, you know, on the outward appearance seemed like a great guy. Yeah. And um, I went to, to promise keepers with a guy, had a, a little, you know, fellowship with him and another guy, and uh, he got really involved in a youth group and was just a, a really really cool guy. I mean, the youth really liked him, and. Um, he ended up turning out to be a pedophile, mm. you know, and uh, so, it, you know, it's a really confusing thing, and rather than, you know, what I think about when, you know, getting the subject is, is, is obviously it becomes a heart issue with God, you know, yeah. and um, we so oftentimes look at the performance, so, so the application for me in thinking about that is knowing that you know, knowing that our, our whole Christian life, you know, it's not our performance, it's our heart. Mm-hmm. And so that when I go, when I go through my daily walk, I want to make sure that, that, that um, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm more cognizant, more conscientious of where my heart is, rather than what I'm doing on a daily basis and, and, and what my performance might look like to somebody else. Yeah. Rich? I was reading my Bible recently and I just got really excited um, about... Uh, a scripture where it talks about how we see in part, but then we'll know in full and everything. Yeah. And uh, it says that even as I am known and understood, then we shall know and understand. You know, I, I can't think of I, that. Just has to be about knowing and understanding God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really exciting to me about heaven because you know we're always talking about like what a mystery God is, and that's why we worship Him. If you guys, if you're not a reader, that, that book I told you about, Heaven by Randy Alcorn, it's on audio cassette. I actually got it for my dad when he was dying, and it really blessed my parents. So if you're not a reader, you know, maybe you've got to commute to work or whatever, you want to get it on uh, audio. Uh, I believe it comes like in eight CDs, and you can listen to them that way. It's a pretty big book. It's about 375 pages, but um, it's, a, it's a great book. So if, if you've got some questions about heaven uh, beyond what we talked about tonight and even more clarification what we talked about tonight, I think it'll help. Tammy? I think as far as my mind's eye with accepting homosexuality without 
accepting the act, and I don't even know if it's a biblical term, but you hear it phrased a lot as love the person hate the action. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, I don't, there's not a verse that says that exactly, but clearly the Bible teaches that, that God loves the sinner and hates the sin, you know. And we obviously have preconceived ideas about what's acceptable and what isn't, you know. And do you notice how that changes with time? And so, from what I understand, before I was born, divorce was just something that was unacceptable in this country. Um, by the time I was born, it was pretty well accepted and everybody was doing it. But, um, you know, you just didn't do that. And, and that's why a lot of, you know, people in their 60s and 70s have been married for 40, 50 years. But you, you talk to people my age and they've already been divorced two, three times, you know. Um, and, and it's because it's becoming more and more accepted. Uh, and that's where homosexuality is going. But it's still kind of like the taboo thing a little bit, especially in a, in a culture like Prineville and more of a rural setting. But in the bigger city, it's becoming more and more accepted. But we definitely have our acceptable sense, where it's now acceptable for a young man and a young woman to live together and not be married. You got to, you know... You got to test out the car before you you know buy it, right? And and that's becoming more. It's it's definitely it's ingrained in in our culture where even parents now won't be ashamed if their twenty year old daughter is living with some guy. Yeah, they're just you know just checking it out. It's not it's not unacceptable anymore. In fact, you could be looked down upon for not doing it. You mean you just married that guy? You know you didn't live together at all. And, and so it, it's funny how things change. And so I think what that tells us is that in God's sight, all of these things are wrong. There's no white lie and big lie. You know how we rationalize and justify? Well, it was just a white lie. Well, in God's way of looking at things, there's no such thing as that. We definitely have a way of, of kind of looking at things and, and, and justifying things that God doesn't at all. Kind of along the lines of what you're saying, my daughter, she gives me a lot of reality checks, but today she gave me another one. Um, I was talking about family, and I'm like, well, you know, with everything they do, I'm like, I can't see them as ever being a Christian. And she turned to me, and she goes, Mom, I could have never seen you as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And it, like, just reminds me that, you know, if we concentrate so much on the sins that people have, we never expect to bring them to God. Yeah. And we need to look past that. Absolutely. Maybe one more. Is there just something brewing out there? Well, Jesus was was dedicated to the Lord, you know, and um, it's definitely a Jewish tradition um, with the circumcision at eight days and, and those with the male, and they would dedicate uh, a baby. But it, the Bible doesn't say, like, on this day, you know, when the child is this age, you need to dedicate it to the Lord. I think it's just something that um, we see consistently in the Word that we dedicate our our most prized possessions to God. You know what I mean? And so you, you, you build a house or you buy a home and you say, Lord, this is yours. 
It belongs to you. And God blesses you with a child. And, and your, your first response should be, Lord, this child's dedicated to you. Whatever you want to do with this child. I don't want to try to steer this child into my own ways of thinking. Or, you know, I, I don't want to try to make this child into my own little uh, product of, of, of who I am. I, I want this child to be after your heart. And, and Lord, this, this child's dedicated to you. So I, I think that's where it, it comes from. Um, for whatever reason, in, in our church, you know, um, we haven't had people asking to have their babies dedicated. I'd love to do more. Um, and I don't think that the formality of it is, is an expression of, of people's hearts necessarily. But I think it's kind of a cool thing to do. Um, you know, we dedicated our kids. But uh, I, don't, I don't think it's something that you have to do. But I think it's something that's kind of a cool thing to do. So... So, yeah, hope that helps you. Um, so, now that we have all of these questions answered about heaven, now that we've just slam dunk, um, we can leave here just a little bit smarter, right? No, it seems like every, uh, during this thing, like every week I, fe- I leave here feeling dumber. <laughs> Especially last week, I just felt like, <laughs> you know. So, I don't know how that works, but... Um, I hope you guys are enjoying this. We've got a couple more weeks, and we'll answer some, some great questions in the next few weeks. So why don't we stand together? Lord, we're, uh, we're excited about heaven. God, that's one thing for sure. We thank you, Lord, that it's not about our works that's going to get us there. God, it's what you did for us, that Jesus, as we accept your sacrifice on our behalf, we are given eternal life. We're we're given entrance into heaven, Lord, and we thank you for that. We praise you for that, Lord. We're so excited about what heaven will hold for us. God, we know that it's going to be beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And Lord, as we, we deal with some of these questions, God, many of them have to do with evangelism. Many of them have to do with having a heart for people. And Lord, I pray that you would put that upon our hearts. Got a heart to share the gospel. Lord, it's easy to say, what about the aborigines? Lord, but in reality, what about the, the guy that lives across the street? Lord, what about the, the lady that sits right next to us at work? Lord, what, what about our, our boss that, that we can't stand personally, Lord, but they so desperately need Jesus? Lord, help us not to, to just make excuses Lord, or to think about the most extreme cases, but God, help us to be mindful of those things and those opportunities that you've put in our path right here, things that we will encounter tomorrow. And may we be faithful, Lord, with what we know and with what you've given to us. And God, may these questions that, in, in a sense, still lie unanswered. God, may they drive us to you, the one whose thoughts is so much higher than our thoughts, the one whose ways are so much higher than our ways. Lord, we worship you, we praise you. God, we recognize our need for you. Give us wisdom in these things, God. Give us a hunger for your word and a hunger to, to get into your word, to hear from you and to, to know these things. Lord, bless each one that, that's here tonight. God, I pray as they, they go about their, their week, God, may we glorify you. Lord, may we finish this week serving you, blessing you. God, use us to share the gospel to share the hope that we have of heaven with somebody. Lord, I pray that tomorrow we would have opportunity to share you with someone. In Jesus' name, amen.